Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is service. Now, here's Pastor Chris. Good morning, everybody. So good to see you. Man, it has been an awesome week. Um, you know, when I, the first part of the week, I asked Irene, is there anything I can do? And she, much to my heart's discontent, said, Pastor, I want you to enjoy this service this, this week. And for me as a pastor, it's like, what can I do? Come on, coach, put me in. Um, so I, I found something that I could do. I could take pictures. And I was so great. I was so fortunate just to be able to document and to be able to watch all the wonderful, amazing things that you have done with these kids. You have been a blessing. Moms, dads, aunts, uncles, grandmas, and grandpas, thank you for investing time into your children. Because this will be something that they will remember forever. And it's a possibility, a start of a conversation for them to begin that journey of being disciples for Jesus. Father in heaven, as we now begin, be with us as we continue in our series of the back to basics of how, Lord, we can begin to be faithful disciples and, Lord, above all, go out and lead and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. In the 1800s, there Ships, flying ships with their big sails would enter, uh, what was the name of the place? Nantucket, Massachusetts. Most of us are probably familiar with the area of Nantucket. And at the time, it was a major area where ships would go back and forth. At some point, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, several hundred ships a day would go in and out of the port to bring in goods and then leave. But it was also an area that was fraught with danger because... It was the northern part of the country, and there would be storms that would regularly come in. And with these storms, ships would begin to sink. The waves would be so big that they'd rock the ships over, or the masts would be uh, uh, torn, whatever it may be. At one point, um, I believe over 700 ships have been lost in that particular area, and therefore being uh, defined as... uh, uh, a ship graveyard. Well, before there were GPS uh, units to be able to help ships navigate the shallow shoals and different areas, the rocks. When they would, uh, when they would, uh, the boats would become uh, immovable or they were capsized. The local community would have to begin efforts to try to reach out. To the ships. And in particular, uh, one time it was uh, March of 19, uh, March 31, 1879. Captain Thomas F. Sansbury, he and a group of volunteers took it upon themselves to go out and to rescue the crew of several ships. And so they got together in their boat. And they went and saw the Emma J. Edwards. They got in their boat and they started to paddle. And when they got to the ship, they realized there was um, 
there was only one survivor. And so George Coffin, he ties a rope around himself and he jumps out and he grabs the, the sailor and he pulls him back. And later on, uh, there was other many similar rescues. Up to 40 people in this particular storm were rescued. For 32 consecutive hours, they endured the hardships of the storm moving from wreck to wreck, trying to save as many people. So much so that Captain Sansbury and his men were recognized, and there's actually a museum in Nantucket dedicated to the efforts of these men and what they did over a couple of days. And the motto of the group was such that you have to go out, but you don't have to come back. It's a rather bold statement, right? Especially for those who have a desire to serve and to help others. They were willing to risk their life. The call was to go out. The possibility of not coming back, coming back is not guaranteed, but you have to go. Paul himself, when we look at his writings, was committed as well. He had the same intensity in that he was running the race. He had to go. These men had the heart of a servant. And Jesus himself, as we had read earlier, looking uh, from the book of John in our, our responsive reading, talks about how Jesus set the example for all of his disciples to serve in humility. Jesus himself, being the rabbi, was not supposed to wash his disciples' feet. But he took his outer coat, he wrapped a towel around himself, and he served his disciples. So when we talk about serving others, one of the, one of the more, uh, one of the scriptures that I, I always continually think of is from the book of Philippians. Now, also, sometimes I'm going to have scripture written up and sometimes I'm going to read from the good book. I'm going to be reading from the Bible. So please continue Bring your Bibles, okay? Or maybe you have a tablet, maybe download uh, the Bible on it and continue and let's read together. Just because it's not on the screen doesn't mean I don't want you reading either. I want you to follow along with me. But in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, (coughs) excuse me, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't abuse that. But rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on the cross. And so just this example alone and the many examples that Jesus left that we can find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus regularly as we can read, was a humble man. And if we're to be followers of Jesus, we should also emulate and replicate this same humility, this servant attitude 
that Jesus left with us. So how do we serve? How do we be servants to others? And the biggest thing is we have to, again, it starts with humility. I'm reminded in the scriptures, and especially in the book of John, where James and John in chapter 10, the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus and they asked, uh, they asked him, Jesus, you know, Jesus actually said, hey, whatever you want, ask, and it will be, it will be given to you, right? So James and John take that literally and they go to Jesus and they say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Is that a bold statement? It's the son of God. Uh, we want you to do what you want. We, uh, we want you to do what we're asking of you. All right, Jesus? So Jesus responds, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. So when you're sitting side by side with Jesus, what does that infer? What do they want? They not only want to sit next to God, but they want they want status, they want authority, they want power. Because he or she who sits next to the Son of God has got to have some influence, right? And another and another gospel, uh, James and John's mother asks Jesus, Can my boys sit next to you? Now, Jesus responds, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And they said, we can. And Jesus responds, yes, you are going to experience these things. However, the story doesn't end there because James and John were just two of the disciples that Jesus was with. Eventually, when the rest of the disciples hear about it, what do you think their response was? Did they all accept this request with enthusiasm? No. What do you think you're doing? I thought we're all supposed to be on the same team, right? And now James and John want to have some power. They want to have some authority. They want to be better than us. Mercy. In fact, it says they became (laughs) indignant with James and John. But Jesus said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus says we have to adapt this attitude of being a servant. Now, I want to also make something clear to you. When we think of servants, what do we often think of negatively? They're supposed to be here at our every beck and call, right? And essentially, when we think of servants, more often than not, we think of servants who are taken advantage of, Okay, abused. And so I'm not saying now that, well, we can be somebody's... When we, when we take on the heart of a servanthood, 
What I'm saying is we need to be humble and be willing to serve and look out for others. But it doesn't by any means say then that we are allowed to be uh, taken advantage of either. Okay? Because at the same time too, Jesus as well, even though he was a servant, did he not stand up for those who were outcasts? Did he not stand up for those who were sinners? Did he not stand up for the tax collector, like we talked about with Nicodemus, right? So being a servant doesn't mean that we're a doormat either. So be willing to serve, be a servant, but yet as well, be strong. And as we continue, when being a servant and serving others, we also... So service starts with humility. The other thing is when we're continuing to serve, when you're meeting somebody and you want to be a servant for Jesus, when we're going out into Downey or wherever we live, Norwalk, Montebello, Arizona, Timbuktu, Japan, wherever we go, when we are serving others, more often than not, it's easy for us to think, I'm going to serve God, and whatever I say, you need to accept everything as it is, right? But the fact, is <laughs> the fact of the matter, it is a different, the world is a different place even 50, 60, 70 years ago, where even as Christians, though we are Christians and though we want to serve others. Our place in society is not what like it used to be. Amen? And in order for us to be faithful and true and to serve, we have to earn the respect and trust of those you serve and those who we want to reach out to. Case in point, sometimes I'll hear a on my doorbell. And more often than not, it's usually the Amazon Prime guy which I love. I gleefully look forward to the Amazon Prime guy because my stuff is either there within a day or two or if it's really expensive and it's really common, it'll be there that day. That's awesome. Right? Now, I live in a somewhat gated community, so it's not as easy for anybody just to walk in. But prior, I lived in an apartment and regularly people would want to... And they would want something of me, right? In the past, that was common. It was normal. But more often than not, people have tried to take advantage of that generosity and understanding. And more often than not, they're trying to sell us something that we really don't want to. Or maybe they're going to ask us to give money to a project that we may not necessarily jive with, right? And so when we knock on doors... And we try to hand them a leaflet. What's their first reaction? Mm. And they want us to accept something. And, and when we when we meet people, we're trying to share the gospel. And so over time, people's reactions become much more of, "I want to stand back. I'm not interested." People will not listen to you until. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. They will not want to listen to you if you, we have not earned the respect and trust. 
Ellen White clearly, so eloquently pointed this out. And this is something that I have to remember. Christ's method. How did Christ minister to others? Christ's method alone will give you the true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with Ben as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministering to their needs and won their confidence. And then he bade them, follow me. He didn't just say, hey, this is what you need to know, or hey, I want you to read this and I want you to believe. He looked out and he tried to find out what was it that he could help them with. Many people, of course, were sick and in need, so he healed them. He took to their needs. He made sure they had water. He fed them, especially on the mountainside, right? So as we go and serve, rather than trying to just, I'm gonna, I'm, I need you to know this, simply, what's your name? Where are you from? Do you love the Dodgers? What, what are your interests? And when we listen, we have to listen. Ask questions. Don't be the one doing all the talking. You're interested in them. And when they genuinely know that you truly care and love them, they will follow. People will not trust if your love is not genuine. And the other thing that we have to follow through on as well is when we minister, it's not because of, I'm doing it just because I want to get to heaven. I tell men, people, I tell young men and women who want to be pastors, I have, my first question is, do you love people? And I remember two years ago, this guy was like, um, yeah, I love people. But I could tell in his heart, he wasn't genuine and he wasn't passionate about this. Rather, the first thing I ask people who are prospective want to be pastors is, do you love people? Because people are going to challenge you. People are going to act in ways that um, you don't think is maybe appropriate or their responses. And at the end of the day, we have to remember that we have to love them. So we have to love the people first. And it has to be genuine. Have you ever seen somebody who says, I love you, but you know they really don't mean it. Let's be honest. You're lying. You may say it out of your mouth, but your eyes, your cheeks, and your body language says something completely different. So if you don't mean it, please don't say it. Please don't say it. Love well. And when we're talking about being a blessing to others, it's so simple. It's so simple to be a blessing to others. So, for instance, how many of you, when you're walking down the street, you say hi to people? Do they even say hi back? Sometimes. I'm not going to say where I used to live, <coughs> Melinda. And I was in a huge apartment complex. And I would say hi to my neighbors. I knew who my neighbors were above and to the sides. I was in an eight-unit uh, eight, eight, uh, eight, uh, building, and there was like 20 of them. So potentially there could have been hundreds of people that I lived in just this little area. How many people did I know? Four or five. 
And I would walk by people, I would say hello, and they would just walk by. My mom taught me that was rude. All right? Now, am I guilty of doing the same thing? Yes, I am. But when I was intentional about trying to get to know people, I realized people here especially, I hate to say it, but this area, Southern California, we don't say hi back (coughs) as often as we should. I went to Florida for my best friend's wedding about uh, four, it was four years ago, I think today actually. And we were we were we went into this shop, and I had started talking to the lady behind the counter. She genuinely asked me, "How are you?" I, I'm good, because when we say "How are you?" what do we really mean? What's our what's our automatic response? Oh, I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm all right. Something very shallow. And this woman's like, "How you doing? Welcome to Florida." And I could tell in her sincerity that she genuinely meant it. And she wasn't the only one. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. And I met several people. And, and, and when you go outside of certain areas where different parts of the country, their responses are much different. Here we're so guarded. So I want to pray, Downey Church, please, let us be different. Let us be loving and kind. So one of the things we can do, Smile. Smile at each other. Sometimes when I've had a bad day and I see somebody and they smile, and it, only, it, it warms my heart to be able to see somebody with joy in their heart. Be the example of joy in people's lives. You could do something as simple as even opening a door for somebody. Hold that door open in the store or in the post office or the DMV. I don't go to the DMV anymore. I go to the AAA. (laughs) I'm kidding. So it's a rough world that we live in. Something as simple as kindness and manners goes a long way. Other ways that we can also, uh, we can help others is we can also, how many of you have a cell phone? Take your cell phone out. Okay. If you have a smartphone or on your phone, I want you to go to the contact list like this. And especially if you have an iPhone, I want you to put your finger at the bottom of the phone. And I want you to go like this as it's sliding stop. And it came to my Uncle Ollie. I'm going to text my Uncle Ollie, hello, this afternoon. How hard was that? It wasn't hard. Find somebody, one, one person a day to send a simple message, a simple text message of saying, I'm praying for you, I love you, and I hope you're well. That's not very hard. One way of being a blessing to others. Take somebody who doesn't have a car to buy groceries. Get bills paid. And the other thing, too, that I've learned, folks, especially as a leader, thank people. It's not hard to say Thank you. Because when, when people work hard, they don't necessarily need recognition on the platform, but a simple thank you knows that the, value, the, the work that they are doing means something and you're making a difference in their life. So don't be afraid to say thank you. All right.
12.08, trying to go. The final thing is we are all blessed with talents. And we have time. Take time out and volunteer. Volunteer your time. For those of you who host well, host parties. Those of you who cook well and bake well, bless you. Feed us. (laughs) All right? Those of you who are auto mechanic specialists, give us wisdom on how to uh, fill a tire or change a tire. Young people, how many of you actually know how to fill, uh, not fill, change a tire? Okay, oh my goodness, not even a quarter. You all rely on the AAA, don't you? All right, nonsense. You should be able to know how to change a tire. So if there's somebody in this church, I want you to please, I'm calling forth a ministry of how to change or check even just the oil, how to change a tire and how to fill up a tire with air. And how practical is that? Super practical. Find ways and be creative and volunteer your time in the church. And as we continue, as we serve with humility, simple tasks, being a blessing to others will allow us and enable us to be able to love well and that people will be drawn and attracted to Downey Church because they know that we are a church that genuinely cares about our community and they can find a place of hope, of grace, and of community. So may we do so. Let us go forth. Father, we thank you for each person here, Lord. We thank you for the awesome week that we have been blessed with. And Lord, as we now go forth, help us to find simple ways of being a simple blessing to others. Lord, we're not, we're not, we're not throwing out the idea that uh, we need to know scripture or, or to know the fundamental beliefs. Lord, those are important as well. But how we minister, Lord, is also so key. So in our our desire to be disciples for you, help us to start with the basics and the foundation. And it starts with humility and loving well and serving others. Help us to do that. And Lord, as we continue to study and as we continue to learn from the scriptures as well, may we grow in faith and may we be open to your leading. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless y'all. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.